Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Sans Pants Radio. Is deodorizing in front of friends rude? Like if you're not going out somewhere, you're just doing it like in front of your mates, just in a social situation. I feel like it's rude, but I do it anyway. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello HelloFresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey guys, Carney here. Just wanted to let you know that Movie Maintenance Presents and Bitten by Productions are putting on a live show in Melbourne on Monday the 4th of September. Tickets are $10 and all of the proceeds are going to a Nepalese family who happen to be friends of mine, still struggling in the aftermath of the devastating earthquakes from two years ago. The Movie Maintenance team have been joined by actors from Bitten by to read a feature film screenplay I've written called Slowly Slowly. It's a heartfelt action-adventure story, and if you grew up loving stuff like Indiana Jones, The Goonies, and Stand By Me, then it's right up your alley. So check out the link attached, buy a ticket, and come rub shoulders with Gabe, Handsome Tom, Greg Kane from Dracula, Unique from Bogan Book Club, and many more. And if that's not enough for you, the Movie Maintenance Boys will be back for another live show as part of the Melbourne Fringe Festival. Just head over to melbournefringe.com.au to grab your tickets. Movie Maintenance is on Thursday, 14th of September, and head over to sanspantsradio.com live for the dates and times of our other shows. Welcome to another episode of Movie Maintenance, where some films just need fixing. I'm Gabe. I'm Carney. I'm Damien. And today we're looking at, well, we're looking at The Room. It's bullshit. I did not hit her. Nah, nah, nah. Bullshit, 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 bullshit. It's not true. So, The the Room, um, I can't imagine you'd be listening to this if you weren't aware of what The Room is. Um, I can't imagine there's really anybody who's got any understanding of pop culture who doesn't know what the room is but for those of our listeners who fall into that limited category what what how would we describe the room oh, somewhere between a masterpiece and a disaster what's well, kind of like famously the worst movie ever <laughs> yeah it's 
See, it, the the room sits in this weird, funny place for me because, I, like, I've I've said for a long time that the way I define a classic is a film that you can watch over and over again and never get bored of. The room unquestionably falls into that category. It ticks that box. I mean, for sure. it's it's famous now, sort of a midnight movie. It's so bad, it's good. It's like a trashy classic. You know, you had a lot of like midnight screenings at certain cult cinemas around the world. People participate. You know, you throw spoons at the screen due to the photos that appear in the film all the time of spoons just for no reason. Are these you plastic the spoons. At the screens I've been to, yes. Yeah. <laughs> like, have you guys ever been to a screening of the room? I no. haven't. It's, I, it's on my bucket so like, list. <laughs> so I guess my, my <laughs> they still happen. That's what I want to know. They, yeah, they, do. they do. They do the yep. monthly at Nova in Melbourne. And every other places month, too. still. Yeah, every month. You see them yep. every week. Um, Far so out. the way it, yeah. So so for those that don't know, the room is basically a. What's really funny about it is the fact that it. Unlike a lot of other trash movies, it's not like shitty sci-fi or shitty horror or anything like that. It's a serious domestic drama about mm. a guy whose best friend is having an affair with his fiance. And it just is so ineptly put together on absolutely every level. Every single level. That it kind of transcends trash. It transcends so bad it's good. Mm. And just goes into this like weirdly transfixing place where you just, you can't look away. You're laughing your head off. But every time you watch it, you pick up something new. And the film just gets more and more confounding every time you watch it. Because it just, you're like, how, how did this get made? What was the motivation behind this? What were they thinking? Is there some warped genius at play here that I don't quite understand? Yeah. I think I speak for a lot of people. I say the general first discovery of the room tends to be like, you know, you see some YouTube videos of, you know, the, I did not hit her or you're tearing me apart. Lisa, or one of the famous lines, yep. you know, I think I went through a stage in 2010 where my friends and I were like watching lots of YouTube videos of the room, but never actually seen the film. And this had a lot of people I speak to say, Oh, I haven't seen the film, but I've seen all the best of on YouTube. No, no, no. You don't understand <laughs> the mind boggling yep. depths of how fucked the room is until you've sat through the whole thing. Right. So until you've watched that first five minutes of just sex. Yep. Yeah, and, and you're like seven minute long sex scene, most of which is the same shots used which, again and again. Which is the first of many. <laughs> first of many. All compiled out the same shots, put right. in slightly different orders. And then there's that one bit where it looks like he's is fucking that, his belly bu- her belly button. Is that because and, the actress like wouldn't want to film stuff again and he was just like or is it an editing well, choice? According to one of the set stories, like she literally turned up on set. It was like she was from Texas. She was fresh off the bus. Mm. It was her first day of being oh. a star. And the very first thing she had to shoot was that sex scene. Oh, that's so rough. And I and bet she, it wasn't, she wasn't the first person to play this role right no no she was um they the role was recast a couple of times yeah. oh my yeah, god because yeah. like uh sometimes when film when hollywood do like sex scenes that they they talk about how oh it was just me and the other actor and the director and that was it it was very like it was a close set i imagine with tommy was that was like hey everybody this is first time tommy has touched woman um, <laughs> it, where's he from I think we'll get into that a bit later. Because, um, I think, yeah, so, so to bed down the context of the room a bit, a lot of people say that, you know, you have to see the room in the full audience and you have to get that mm. full experience. I read a review recently that made this point that I really stick by, which is, no, the best way to see the room for the first time is either by yourself or with a friend, watch it so you can actually watch it, pay attention to it, yep. see how fucking bizarre it is, and then go watch it at a cinema yep. when everybody's calling out the lines and getting up and acting things out. So, like, it would be too time, confusing. It would be too confusing in that situation. I mean, you already yeah. struggle with confusing in the room. Yeah. Um, Trying to watch it when everybody's yelling every single line at the audience and yeah. throwing spoons at each other yeah. is a bit of a tall order. And so I remember like going to see the room for the first time in a cinema. And like it's just the most insane experience. Like you go there and there are just big buckets of plastic spoons outside. Everyone takes as many as they can. You get in there, it's a packed cinema. The movie starts, it's like the whole audience goes up in raucous cheers. Everybody is so passionate and so excited about it. Every line, people are like either screaming with laughter or just kind of saying along with it. And then, of course, the tradition in the room is that every time you see a spoon, because there are just photos of spoons all over his house, you pelt spoons at the screen. And this slowly descends into just total anarchy 
as eventually when everybody gets drunker and drunker, <laughs> it stops being you just like quoting the famous lines as they're said and throwing spoons when you see spoons. It's just every time something funny happens, spoons just shower spoons. the screen. Yeah. And every time like any line happens, people just like yell out a line from a different part of the film and they're like call and response moments and stuff. At one point, there's a bit where the main character's wife is trying to get him drunk so she can say that he hit her because that's the kind of film this is. Yep. And she gives him a glass of scotch, which she proceeds to top up with vodka. And the moment that happened, the guy in front of me in the cinema gets up with a bottle of scotch and a bottle of vodka and just goes, Scotchka! And just starts pouring Scotchka <laughs> for everyone around him. Um, in all the scenes where people just play football, by which, I mean, they stand about oh, two meters like away from each other and just that. throw yeah. a football oh. at each other. Most, there are so many of these but, scenes. No, well, you say throw a football at each other. It's not even throwing. No. Somehow, all the actors managed to... Not throw a football. Yeah. It's amazing. It's, just, it's fucked. And then like, and in all those scenes, people just all around the cinema just pop up with footballs and just footballs start flying over you in all directions. And then it gets, gets to a certain point where it's like, you run out of spoons, of course. Yeah. And so at a certain point, the cinema becomes this writhing mass of people just crawling over each other, getting to the front to gather up more spoons. So like, every time I'd be like down the front of the cinema, like getting armfuls of spoons, I'm being pelted by spoons as it's happening. You run back, you got spoons everywhere. Spoons are like flying all over the place. You're getting hit by spoons in all directions. You come back to your chair by the time you get there you've already dropped half the spoons that you gathered up yeah. then you throw them and you have to go down again oh and it just keeps God. going in this perpetual vicious cycle <gasps> and so by the end of it it's just like it's so exhilarating and so bizarre <laughs> yeah. and so as you get to the end of it, it's like what did I just go through it's like people descend into this weird primal yeah. animal state when they're watching the room like I reckon when I was 18 I went to the room every week like there were times when I would like <laughs> be nervous about finishing work. So, you know, when I worked in hospitality, I'd be yeah. like, fuck, am I going to finish work in time to get to the room? Like I went so many times yeah. in a row. And the then like- Bergmosa date night, was it? It was actually <laughs> my go to. Well, yeah. the girl, my girlfriend at the time bought me the room for my birthday on DVD. So I think <laughs> okay. yeah, my, yeah, um, yeah. My, my love of the film was fairly well documented by then. <laughs> and yeah, now like Nova, the cinema I went to, they only do it every month now, but I still like, I still go occasionally, mm. like normally with people. It's a real, it's a great night out. You just go to the room, you yeah. just have yeah. a raucous time. One of my favorite recent times of seeing the room was when Mark, uh, well, Mark, Greg Sestero, who played Mark in the film, he wrote the tell-all book, The Disaster Artist, which is becoming the James Franco film. Yep. He was doing his book tour, and so he actually came and did like his presentation, reading parts of the book, showing different clips of behind-the-scenes stuff before a screening of the room in Melbourne, and then did a book signing afterwards. And it was just, it was fucking crazy. And if you read that book, because one of the best things about the room is just the mystery behind it, mm. and the fact that it's like, how did this thing get made? You got you got Tommy Wiseau, who's like this guy who could be anywhere between 40 and 100 he sort of looks like a vampire that's been hit with rocks from a few different angles <laughs> over and over again until his body's kind of whacked out of shape long lank hair eyes that sort of stare in different directions this accent sounds like Christopher Walken and Arnie had a baby that was kicked in the head a few times <laughs> and it's just like it's just his weird cadence his weird way of speaking and his weird worldview that sort of permeates his whole film mm. like Tommy Wiseau is a mystery wrapped in an enigma wrapped in a yep. conundrum. And the best thing is when the disaster Arts came out, I was like, oh no, like, are they going to tell us where he got the money from? They're going to tell right. us where he's from. Do are I want to know? Everything? Do yeah. I want his mystique to be ruined? It doesn't ruin it at all. No. The disaster Arts actually just makes it more yep. confusing. Questions it it only lead to sense. more questions, only lead to yeah. more questions. Everything that gets answered just leads to more confusion. Yeah. It's The disaster Artist is like the perfect companion piece because if you love the room, you know it as well as I do. You read The disaster Artist and you're like, holy fuck, the rabbit hole just gets deeper. Have <laughs> they done that deliberately? Have they done that deliberately or do they just not know those answers about him? Well, the impression I got was that he just doesn't know. Like, because Greg Sestero does reveal quite a few things. Like, mm. there are, like if you, if you read the Zaster Artist to get questions answered, you will get questions answered. Yeah. There'll be things you want to know about the room that you learn about the room. And it's, it's fascinating. 
but those questions invariably just lead to more questions. Yeah. <laughs> and the disaster artist kind of, I think it's brilliant because it sort of frames the story as Tommy was those whole backstory, you know, because him and Greg Sestro lived together in Hollywood mm. and Greg Sestro started getting gigs and started getting roles and they were, you know, both struggling actors. They met in drama school or like doing a drama course and Greg Sestro got work, Tommy didn't. Um, and Tommy was just kind of started to get really, really jealous of him hmm. and eventually Tommy was like got to the point where he was like well fine if nobody's going to cast me in a film I'm going to make one myself Great. and so he made the room and then basically he was just hell-bent and desperate to become famous at any cost yeah. and the beautiful mission accomplished beautiful tragedy <laughs> of the film is that yeah he got it but like at any cost yeah, yeah. like he literally became famous for making the worst film worst in film the world yeah and then there's a like an interpretation of the film which I sort of subscribe to and I was thinking this when I watched it recently where like if you read the backstory and you sort of see Tommy's jealousy of Greg Sestero, who he then casts as Mark, who sleeps with his girlfriend. Mm. There's like a version of the film where it's like Lisa is like oh. fame and success. She represents fame and success. Okay. And Greg Sestero's character is basically Greg Sestero taking it away from Tommy, where oh. Tommy deserves it more. And there's like, and I think Greg Sestero kind of implies in the film that a lot of the film is like a big fuck you to Greg Sestero for being more successful than him. <laughs> yeah. Even though now it's like they're both just. I mean, well, Tommy Wiseau kind of gets more work purely by merit of being Tommy Wiseau. Sure. Yeah. But it still defined their life. And then, like, and, well, then now they've, they've just, I don't know if it's come out yet, but they've just made a new film together, which is oh, basically wow. a piss take on their relationship. Oh. And Greg Sestero sort of, I think he I think he wrote it or wrote and directed it, and okay. they're sort of in it together. It's called Best Friends. And it's about, <laughs> and it's, I think it's kind of Greg Sestero's response where he plays like a struggling Hollywood actor who starts living with a vampire who just kind of drains his life and destroys his life and everything. Oh and God. basically these two guys have made these two films that like fuck yous to each other, but they sort of need each other to but make stuff still because friends. nobody else will work with them. It's actually and beautiful. So it's, it's fascinating. It's and then you, know, you think the Greg Sestero wrote this tell-all that makes Tommy was look really bad in a lot yeah. of it. It's just- I'm it's, amazed that they're still on speaking terms. Because right? it just it only makes Tommy more famous and that's it's what like he this, wants. It's like this symbiotic relationship yeah. where they- I think they kind of hate each other, but they kind of need each other at the same time. Mm. And it's just- yeah. Is Tommy oblivious to the, the critical response to the film? Does, it, does well, is there, does, like, I haven't seen interviews with him really. Does he think that he's made I think, something- I think he does because like a lot of the time he's like, oh, you know, when you watch The Room, you can laugh, you can cry, you can express yourself. You know, The Room speaks to something deep within all of us. He says a lot of that, mm. but sort of says, oh, it was meant to be a black comedy, but it's like, no, it, it wasn't. Mm. It clearly wasn't. No. It was meant to be applied. I, I think Tommy Wiseau now is sort of trying to cash in on his persona. I mean, kind of you and I watched yeah, what was that called? the pilot of his TV show, The, the Neighbours, yeah. which was whacked out and bizarre, but so much of it was him trying to basically cash in on the zany, wild, I'm Tommy right. Wiseau persona, and it just doesn't work. So he's, he's trying to cash like in that. on The Room, but The Room happened by accident. Yeah, The That's Room was lightning in the bottle, and you can't repeat that. No, especially he, he can't. No, <laughs> he like, yeah, can't. yeah, yeah. And it's he, so funny. I'd when forgotten you, about that show. Oh, the, the neighbors. Yeah, it was. Oh, weird. what a, what a day. Yeah, the catchphrases. <laughs> what a day. It's like about a. He, uh, he's, he's a guy. Like you know how catchphrases just kind of develop naturally. Sure. <laughs> he just wanted it to be a catchphrase, so he said it forty times a day. Yeah, just like over and over and over and over again. Um, whereas like the catchphrase in the room, like my best friend or oh hi Mark, yeah. were purely by accident. Yeah, they just sort of turned it was just, up. It's so it was just terrible writing. <laughs> that was amazing. Um, but yeah, um, I was like, I say, Neighbours. Yeah, there was. I read an interview with him before Neighbours came out, where he was talking about. He's like, Neighbours is very good reflection of modern America. It has a black and an Asian and a pregnant. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> a pregnant. A pregnant. <laughs> he said, he's just. They're a race. Those pregnant people. Oh, I actually just... read that interview. That was like he. He's actually fascinating. That guy. He's like, genuinely fascinating. Yeah. That's, that's like yeah. He's the oh, next he's step down. Out. And with him, with him knowing if people love his film or not, the, the interviews I've seen. He, 
he either knows and he's just putting a mask on or he's genuinely delusional. He sort of comes off as like a Trump type person where they yes. spurt all this crap and you're like, how can you believe it? But then they just double down on it and double down again. Like he, and he goes, he makes good points. Cause he's like, well, it's in, it's in cinemas still. It's across the world. People are still yeah. watching. People are still loving it. And how can you not call that success? But not for the reasons that he thinks though. But that's the beautiful. I, I don't know. Irony, yeah, I don't know with him. Is he, is he a character or is he like, is that him? I just don't know. And we it, don't yeah, know. It's fascinating. That's the beauty of it's it. Just, it's just, it's why I'm uh, really yeah. excited for the disaster. I, I actually. I, I, that trailer just, cause I don't know the room. The Room is just one of those beautiful, amazing, lightning in a bottle, once in a lifetime things that it's just, it it can hardly be defined or explained, but it's just, no. I just, yeah. I, it's amazing. And you, you'd say to someone, oh, you just have to watch it. But even after you watch it, it yeah. almost forces you to be like some sort of conspiracy theorist. Yes. Where you get these like, maybe it's this. I think I know oh, the I answer. Remember, okay, I, I remember once watching The Room years and years ago with a friend of mine. And we were really stoned and we were watching it and we came up with this. It's probably the best state to be in when watching this. Well, we came up with this ridiculously elaborate theory that Tommy Wiseau was like a a knight from the 10 hundreds who (laughs) traveled to the present day and didn't understand the present day and was like spurned by a lover. And so that's why like the film sort of gender politics and everything are so backwards. And it's understanding of like, it's understanding of like honor and like friends, not but like how Mark is, it's not Mark's not at fault for sleeping with Lisa. It's Mm. all Lisa's fault and things like that. And like all of like, it's, it's just, and you know, the whole, like this whole idea of like chivalry that's kind of shot through it of, of, you know, Johnny always being like, Oh, you know, I look after and I buy house for and I'm and all of this and I'm a good person. Like it's, I don't know. That was it, it. Makes less sense now that I'm not. What were you affected? <laughs> what, were you, what were you high on? <laughs> <laughs> just high on the room, mate. Yeah. High no, on the no, room. Like, this is the effect like, it has. Yeah, this whole idea, like obviously, we were just like, sort of speculating, but it just it it does kind of. Fall. And the best thing is that like some of the fan culture stuff out there is just there's this um there's a room video game on Newgrounds, like a sort of eight bit pixelated video game you can play that not only is hilarious because it's based on the mm. room, it goes out of its way to explain plot holes and answer oh, questions brilliant. and resolve all those unfinished subplots from the room. It's just, it's <laughs> things like, you know, because um, you know how there's that one character, Peter, the psychologist, who just halfway through the film yeah, not, yeah, yeah. with someone him, else. Yeah. And like the drug dealer with Denny and that plot just goes nowhere. Yeah. And then it's things like, so, so. And at, Denny example, was meant to be retarded. Yeah. Yeah. And so like, then for example, like at the end of the film, when like, um, Peter's not present at the party, but his replacement is, yeah. so there's like a cut scene in the video game of the drug dealer escaping from prison. And as he's escaping, running down Peter on his way oh, to the party. That is and just brilliant. things like that, that just kind of, or, you know, then there's a whole, cause you know how Johnny keeps mentioning like his, how the bank, mm. you know, they're not giving him this promotion and they're yes. leaving him on and everything. Yeah. There's like a whole subplot about that in the video game that sort right. of leads something else. It's actually kind of brilliant because it's sort of, I guess in terms of just making it make more sense and making it more mm. coherent and sort yeah. of explaining the unexplainable, it actually fixes the room. And it does it all in, effectively. in 8-bit. Yeah, it's which so good. arguably would show more emotion than Tommy does anyway. Well, yeah, true. <laughs> that would not be hard at all. <laughs> um, it's, What's yeah. he, is, was he... Did he actually work for a bank outside of the movie? Like, I don't know. He had a, so basically I think he mystery. got his money allegedly from having a clothing company called like USA Fashions or something where he just imported clothes. And he used that money from, to fund the film. I think. You can't help wow. but feel it's his- Street Fashion USA, I think it was called. Right. He did an ad for it where he does to be or not to be. Greg Sessler oh, showed it at the, um, at the talk. Fantastic. You can't help but feel he was a scam artist at some point. Like he's, yeah. he's pulled off something, somehow got this money. Yep. But this is what he's done with it. Yeah. Because that's half the mystery is where did he, how could he fund this? Because well, he's not a he, he's, he's actually like, oh, he's so much more fascinating than I thought. 
Yeah, he, what has he oh, done yes, in yeah. his past in order to like get the money to live out his dream and make yeah. a film? Time traveling night, mate. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> he brought some treasure it's from like the ten hundreds, and it turned out to be worth heaps today. That's genuinely and... as good a guess as anyone oh, has. That's because like there's there's sort of rumors about mafia contacts and this sort of thing. And then he had that billboard for five years. Yes, yeah, five had years. Billboard like the, of the for your consideration billboard, putting it up for the Oscars oh, in, in, yeah, Hollywood, yeah, in Hollywood. Yeah. It was there for five years. <laughs> that so, is so expensive. Too. Yeah, yeah, right. So the the movie feel the movie showed like for three weeks at a few selected theaters originally, but that billboard oh. lasted five years. Yeah, amazing. It's just ah, oh, he's it's just incredible. Like everything about him, everything about his story, I it boggles the mind. Yeah. Um, and I also kind of think you know, like in the way that you know, often oftentimes like many director or writers' greatest masterpieces will be films that sort of just are the perfect encapsulation of their worldview. And I guess, you know, them just putting mm. a lot of themselves to the film. Yep. I think The Room kind of is that. I think The Room is yeah, literally no, Tommy Wiseau's entire worldview and yes. understanding of things put into this just like bizarre, whacked out mm. mess of a film. Yep. I mean, and, and, yeah, look at his position of- in it. His character is the ultimate victim. Yeah. Which has to be how he sees himself. Yeah, absolutely. Because he is, in the film, he's, he's literally the perfect the guy. He's bringing presents to his wife every day and she's like, oh, I don't want to be with him. I'm going to tell everyone he hit me and I'm going to sleep with his best friend and yeah. the bank's not going to listen to him. He's just, it's it's he's him. Just, he's a saint. Expressed through this weird media. It's the best. Because it's, it's like, just I, it's just, you kind of look at Tommy Wiseau and he's like, he's, it's like ultimate nice guy syndrome. He's somebody who legitimately thinks he's never done anything wrong. Yeah. And he's like, and I think he just sits there and is frustrated and goes, you know, why am I not getting any roles in movies? I deserve this. Right. I'm the nice guy. Yeah. Even though he can't see the vampire in the mirror with sunglasses on looking <laughs> yeah, back exactly. at him. <laughs> so I've had a run at fixing the room. See, I am um, very excited. For all the reasons we just listed, literally on the drive over here, I'm like, I don't even know. What you're gonna do? Okay, with this. so yeah, I don't know what the approach. Like, what's is. the angle Look, here? It was. It's weird because it's sort of like you know, do you do a handsome Tom with Fifty Shades of Grey where you like make it more weird? Yeah. Well, you, you can't. <laughs> so yeah. the, the challenge I made because, like I said earlier, what I, what I find really fascinating about the room is this whole fact that it is actually just like apart from the fact, like take its flaws out of the equation for a moment. What is meant to be at its essence isn't a comedy or a weird piece of camp. It's meant to be a serious wrenching drama. So I was like, is there a way to, without changing too much and assuming this is just competently made, hmm. actually reconfigure it in that way? There might be a couple of left turns along the way. I don't know. Okay. But I've sort of had a run at that. So I do want to clarify before we launch into this. I did this more as a challenge for myself than anything else because I, I really don't believe the room should be fixed. Hmm. I don't. I think it's perfect as it is. Yes. I don't yep. want it changed. <clears throat> I would hate the idea of a world where we had a less bizarre room, but purely for the sake of the challenge to be like, hmm. can the room be fixed? Hmm. Yeah. Can we make a version of this Could one that actually works? Competent. Yeah. I want to see. So I've had a run at it. Okay. Great. We're going to open in a flower shop on a dozen red roses in a stand. Sorry, we're already <laughs> laughing because of the good doggy. <laughs> <laughs> so standing there, looking at these roses, blank face is our protagonist, Johnny, played by James McAvoy. Oh. He's staring at the roses and he looks just kind of lost. And after a moment, the store owner comes up with a pug in her arms. Johnny just kind of looks at her blank face and goes, oh, hi, doggy. <laughs> now, <laughs> yes. So now through dialogue, we get a little bit of a sense of who Johnny is. He's a bit neurotic. And as he's explained to this shop owner, he really wants to buy flowers for his girlfriend, but he's like not sure if red roses are too cliche and if it's a bit too much. And he's kind of realized he doesn't really know what she likes, but he doesn't really know if she wants these, but he knows she's kind of been in a bad mood with him recently. He's kind of trying to make it up for her. But basically, we kind of get a sense this guy's just a little bit lost. And eventually the shop owner tells him, look, hey, Rose is as good as anything else. Just get them. She'll love it. I promise you this is the right thing. So Johnny kind of thanks her. He buys the roses. As he does, he gets a phone call. The bank needs him back. So we get a bit of a montage of Johnny's life at the bank. Mm. 
I mean, imagine this montage is kind of a little bit funny because the whole time he's trying to preserve these roses that he meant to take straight home. Mm-hmm. So he's trying to look after them. And in the hustle and bustle of the work that they just get more and more ruined. You know, somebody knocks them out of his hand. Someone spills coffee on them. Somebody sits on them when he tries to leave them on a chair. And despite the obviously growing frustration, all th- through all this, Johnny just stays calm. Because, you know, as we learn through this montage, he's been promised a promotion. And he's determined to get it no matter what, no matter how crazy or difficult or unjust things get at work. Because if he gets his promotion, he can buy a house and then him and Lisa can move out of their shitty apartments and interlude. All of these ideas are actually in the film. Yeah. They just don't go anywhere. No. So I'm going to actually kind of try to bring them to the forefront a bit more. Yeah. Cool. So we see a bit more of his life as he goes back home and he goes back home to Lisa, who is played by Brie Larson. Um, and Lisa's kind nice. of really happy to see him, but she sort of sours when he's too tired to talk. And he kind of gives her this cheap story about how, you know, he bought her flowers, but they were sort of ruined at work and everything kind of fell apart. And she doesn't buy it because mm. basically we get a glimpse into Lisa's life. You know, she's, and she's funny and she's smart. She's basically Brie Larson, but there's this frustration, this sadness to her because the film mentions her being in the computer business. And that line, she's like, the computer business is too competitive. And that's never mentioned again. It goes <laughs> anywhere. I'm going to make it that she's got an online sales startup that just isn't working. Good. And we get the sense that Johnny just never took it that seriously, which Lisa yeah. kind of resents because she hates the idea of relying on Johnny. But like furthermore, kind of almost a bit conflicting with that, she hates the fact that he spends all his time at work because this just makes her feel useless and undervalued. Like she's some kind of trophy wife. She sits at home. She waits for him to come back. Mm. She's got a failing business he doesn't take seriously. And when he turns up, he's too tired to even speak to her. And he tells her, oh, yeah, but I bought you some roses and I was considerate, but there aren't any roses. And, you know, she's just kind of like, well, like, it's not that she cares about the flowers, but she's like, just don't even bother because she thinks he's bullshitting. Okay. What she doesn't quite realize is that Johnny is doing everything he's doing to try and make her happy. See, the fundamental tragedy at the heart of these characters is ultimately they just don't understand each other. They think they know what the other, why the other is doing what they're doing and what they want, but they resent them for it because they don't actually understand the reality. And resentment, bit by bit, inevitably breeds something worse. So enter Mark, played by Michael B. Jordan. Um, So in these early scenes, we're going to kind of get a little bit of a chance to get to know Mark. You know, he's handsome, he's charismatic, but he's not much else. And what's more, he knows it. So maybe we get a couple of dinner scenes and stuff with Lisa and Johnny. And we sort of learn through this that Mark is kind of crippled by deep insecurity and maybe a sense of wasted potential. Maybe he was like a high school quarterback who had an injury and never went anywhere or something like that. Or, you know, he had a couple of failed auditions or whatever. And there is Johnny. Always Johnny, nice guy Johnny with his perfect life and his great job and his Mm. beautiful girlfriends. And he is directionless Mark looking at Johnny who has everything he wants but has no idea how to get. And finally, in the middle of all of this is Denny. I want to lean into this idea that the film does touch on of Denny as a homeless street kid who was taken in by Johnny and kind of use that as a way to explain why he's kind of socially inept. But Mm. I want this Denny to be a little bit rough around the edges. Maybe he like, you know, swears a lot at inopportune moments or kind of makes really crass comments and like, Mm -hmm. you know, says some odd things and acts weirdly here and there. A little bit like Denny in the film, but kind of a little bit more maybe people sort of a bit put off by him, think that he's kind of dangerous or something. Because he's a street kid and he's kind of hard done by. And people who get to know him see that he's a sweetheart. Mm. But the problem is that not that many people actually try to get to know him. Mm. And it's just all the people who spend a lot of time with him that realize he's actually just a fundamentally good guy. And with his background, people just don't really bother. And maybe at Johnny's work, people kind of mutter about this weird street kid Johnny took in and what's going on with that. And maybe while Johnny's trying to ignore it, he has to kind of wonder if this sort of weird thing is the reason for his non-existent promotion. Mm. So there's a lot of kind of pressure on these characters at this point. So, of course, all these tensions do eventually have to go somewhere. 
And they do one day when Johnny and Lisa get to a fight. And it can be a fight about an innocuous thing. Maybe somebody left a spoon in the wrong place or something. <laughs> and they kind of just rip into each other. And Johnny is just tired and he's distracted. Lisa's frustrated to the point of tears. And so when Johnny finally is like, I have to go to work and he just leaves mid-argument, she just snaps. She tries to call a few friends, but maybe she's been so alienated for so long from everyone trying to focus on getting this business working that people just aren't there for it. People aren't picking up the phones. They think she's kind of abandoned them. And so finally she calls the one person she can think of, which is Mark. Hmm. So he comes around. And maybe they have a drink or several and they sort of bond over the ways in which they're both feeling kind of insecure and kind of like they're falling short of where they should be. And Mm. maybe it's not said, but we kind of get the idea that both of them are just really resentful of Johnny and they both kind of understand that about each other. And so eventually one thing leads to another. But the thing is, when this happens, they're immediately regretful because whatever Johnny's faults, like he's a good man. And after all, he is Mark's best friends. <laughs> so they sort of talk about it and they resolve. They're just never going to mention it again. You know, they've made a mistake. They've learned from it. They can't do this. They don't want to hurt him. They fucked up. This is on them. Let's just leave it. So when Johnny gets home that night, Lisa kind of tries to talk to him, tries to act normal, but she can't do it. She can't sustain it. And she just bursts into tears almost the moment she sees him. Just imagining a capable and, actress doing <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. And, you know, maybe she sits down and she's crying and, Johnny doesn't know what the reason is, but maybe when he sees it, it kind of shakes him. And he realizes maybe he has been too focused on work. Maybe he has let Lisa down. Maybe he does need to make more time for her. Maybe that's more important than this house he's so desperate to buy her and this perfect life he's desperate to provide for her. But before these emotions can work themselves out, right at the point where we think, hey, maybe things can actually improve. Maybe this mistake can be put behind them. These people's lives can get back on track. We get the arrival of a very classic scene from the film, except done well, famously known as Where's My Fucking Money, Denny. Um, So the drug dealer turns up at the house. No one else is there. And he attacks Denny for money that Denny owes him. A fight ensues and Johnny arrives in time to break it up, to steal the gun and send the drug dealer packing. But the moment that's done, Johnny and Denny, who are alone together, we don't have the other characters there. Johnny confronts Denny. What was that about? And like faltering in tears, shaking, Denny admits, look, he, he bought drugs off this guy. And Johnny fucking loses it. Because after everything he's done, after providing the room, the money, the whispers at work, this is how Denny repays him? Like after pulling him off the street, after his life is maybe going down the toilet because of all the time he's given to this poor kid, Denny proves everyone right about him? Hmm. Fuck that. And on top of that, with all his problems with Lisa, his frustrations at work, his sense that like something's just wrong and he can't quite figure out what it is or how to fix it, Johnny's had enough. And with tears of anger and betrayal in his eyes, he tells Denny to leave, just kicks him out. Okay. Wants him out of the house. Hmm. So when Lisa gets home and finds out about this, she's absolutely horrified. She confronts Johnny, but Johnny just refuses to back down. Maybe sitting there, he's having a few drinks. He's just angry at everyone. He's resentful. He's had enough. And Lisa goes, fuck, I need to get out and find Denny. And who's there to help her? Hmm. But Mark. Yep. So Lisa and Mark have avoided each other ever since what happens. But, you know, together they go looking for Denny. And, you know, at this moment, Lisa just, you know, she's so angry at Johnny. She's not exactly concerned about his feelings or anything. Yep. Um, meanwhile, Johnny sitting at home, finally, he kind of comes to his senses and he's like, what the fuck have I done? Like, you know, he's immediately regretful, like not immediately, but once he sort of had some time to dwell on it and think about it, he realizes, fuck, I did the wrong thing. That was a really shit thing to do. You know, maybe I should have tried more to understand Denny and kind of get to the bottom of the problem instead of just reacting that way. So Johnny, Johnny sets out to find Denny because he didn't really want him gone, but it was just the pressure got to him, everything built up and he did something stupid. So Johnny just starts searching day and night whenever he gets a second. He starts skiving off work. He just searches the streets wherever he can for Denny separately of Mark and Lisa. Mm-hmm. And all this while, Johnny is just blaming himself more and more and just completely racked with guilt about what he's done. Days pass, things worsen. Johnny and Lisa are barely seeing each other. They're barely talking. But meanwhile, she and Mark are getting closer. Finally, Denny is found by Johnny, unconscious in an alley, pale blue, cold, hypothermia, maybe a syringe lying nearby. He's barely breathing. Johnny kind of scoops him up, gets him to a car, rush him to the hospital. 
where he's immediately put into a medically induced coma. Shit. And Johnny just stays by his bedside day and night, just won't leave, completely blames himself for this. And in the midst of all of this, he doesn't even question where Lisa is, which is Mark's bed. So Lisa's still kind of conflicted about this, but Mark now maybe has this conversation with her where he tells her he's convinced they have something special. And he tells her as much, and he loves her. He tells her this, and he says, you know, leave Johnny and be with me. Lisa kind of looks at him, and she doesn't really know what to say, but before she has to reply, she gets a message from Johnny. And so Lisa joins him at Denny's bedside, and the rapport between them is immediately frosty. It's tense. It's on edge. And then Johnny just comes clean. He just apologizes for his behavior, and he just puts it all out on the line. He, he admits he's under pressure at work, and he feels like he's trapped. He feels like he's stuck in, in a room <laughs> with no entry and exit. He's hemmed in from all sides by responsibilities that he's failing to live up to, and frankly, it's tearing him apart. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Can Lisa ever forgive him? <laughs> and she looks at him for a long time and then tearfully she does and embraces him. And so while Denny does remain in hospital, things do begin to improve. And maybe a few weeks pass and as time goes on, you know, Lisa starts getting ready for a party for Johnny's birthday. But Johnny, you know, he's spending more and more time just sort of looking after Denny, doing whatever he can, but also finding time for Lisa in here as well. Find time to actually be there, to ask about a date, to ask about her problems, to ask her stuff he can help with. And maybe this relationship is kind of on the mend. But Mark is starting to crack because after all of Johnny's behavior, after what he did to Denny, Lisa still fucking wants to be with him. <laughs> he still gets everything. <laughs> So Mark maybe starts to lose it a bit. He starts messaging Lisa nonstop, you know, telling her things, you know, we should be together and everything. Lisa's like frantically trying to delete the messages, trying to avoid Johnny seeing this. Mark starts ignoring Johnny's calls and he starts smoking, like in the movie, way too much weed. (laughs) So meanwhile, you know, Johnny's putting on a brave face, but his happiness is resting on a knife edge because all these hours away from work have taken a toll. Johnny was fired. And in the wake of his mending relationship with Lisa, he doesn't want to tell her. He can't bring himself to. He can hardly bring himself to care as well because the fact is the guilt over what happened to Denny remains fresh and it is eating him up from the inside. So the night before Johnny's party, Lisa visits Mark. She says, you have to stop messaging me. You have to drop this. And what's more, he has to come to Johnny's party because to not turn up is just going to look suspicious. Mark kind of seems to agree with her at first and kind of gets up and he starts just making a pass at her and it's just like, it's gross, it's uncomfortable, it's ugly. And she kind of shoves it off. No, that's done. No more. Now, are you going to come to your best friend's party or not? So neither party arrives. You know, the whole apartment's beautifully set up and people are everywhere. And the whole time Johnny's trying to enjoy himself, but he's tired, he's worn down, and he even ignores it when a very obviously drunk and staggering Mark turns up. Until that is, Mark starts trying to dance with Lisa. <laughs> and at first she rejects him, but he persists. And eventually Johnny sort of notices and he realizes something's going on. And he realizes Lisa is rejecting him, but she's kind of responding to this, like talking to him quietly as if there is something going mm. on between them. So Johnny kind of goes over and grabs Mark and tries to pull him away. And Mark just shoves him. Say the fuck away. This is none of your business. Johnny, however, begs to differ. He grabs Mark by the arm, drags him out onto the balcony. Johnny's furious. And he asks, what the fuck is Mark is playing at? Mark just laughs. You really don't know? Johnny looks at him, prepares to argue, to kick him out, to tell him he's lying. But as he looks at his best friend's face, he just deflates. Because how could he have been so fucking stupid? Man. Lisa steps out after them. Don't listen, she tells Johnny. But the waver in her voice has said everything. And Mark just drunk says, it's your own fault. You had everything and look at you. You mope around, you neglect everyone. Then you wonder, why do people get fed up with you? That's enough, Lisa says. 
I would treat her well, Mark says. I did. I looked after her. I loved her. I made her. And Johnny just attacks. And the fight <laughs> is on as their former best friends just lay into each other. Lisa screams them to stop, but they're not listening. They're just pummeling each other. Lisa runs forward to pull them apart. As Mark shoves Johnny, he flies back and his flailing elbow hits Lisa in the eye. She hits the ground. Johnny turns horrified as the door bursts open and the party girls emerge, all staring at the scene before them. (laughs) Johnny looks between them all, the stricken faces, the accusing eyes. He realizes what they think they saw. And he says, I did not hit her. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Yes. But. Oh, mate. (laughs) Oh boy. Oh, my God. oh boy. <laughs> but <laughs> they've seen enough. And one by one they leave. Lisa gets up, she looks between Johnny and Mark, and she just follows. Mark goes to say something, says something to Johnny. He thinks better of it, and he just goes. And Johnny's left alone. And he collapses on the balcony, staring into the night, and he just cries. Because after everything, all his efforts, it's all blown up in his face. Lisa, Denny, Mark, his job, he's despised. And frankly, he's finding it hard to disagree with those who feel that way about him. So he walks inside and in a drawer at the bottom of his cupboard, he finds a drug dealer's gun. He looks at it for a moment and he walks back outside. He won't die with the walls of the room closing in around him. (laughs) Oh my God. And standing outside in the balcony, he takes another look at the sky. Then he lifts the gun, puts it to his head and pulls the trigger. And on the shot, we cut to black and we hold for a moment. And then up on the screen... One year later. Oh, okay. Here we go. We're in the hospital where Johnny was visiting Denny. Mark's standing there holding some flowers. A nurse meets him and together they walk. And Mark says nervously, how is he? The nurse says, well, he's getting better. Whether he'll ever be the same again, you know, he, he was outside for a really long time. And, you know, the blow of being abandoned like that, look, just be ready. He talks a lot about what happened, but it tends to not make much sense. Just don't worry. We all know it wasn't as bad as he thinks. Just be ready. They arrive at a room. Mark takes a deep breath and the nurse opens the door. The room is covered in ripped pieces of paper with writing on it. Words like tearing, Lisa, Mark, apart, sex life, weirdly breast cancer and more. (laughs) And all over the floor. (gasps) What's with the spoons, Mark asks. You'll have to ask him, the nurse says. And it's then that we see the person in the middle of the room. His hair is long, lank and black. His eyes are mismatched. His face sort of slack. And his voice when he speaks slurred, his accent indiscernible. It's Johnny. And he looks up and he smiles. Oh, hi, Mark. (laughs) Yes! Oh, fucking hell. Outstanding. Holy shit. Holy shit. Oh, fuck, man. (laughs) Oh, my God. Oh, it's beautiful. (laughs) I didn't think you could pull it off, but I think you did. I think you... um, Fucking hell. Gabe. So that was my fix of the room. Gabriel. Oh, man. Gabriel Bergman said, oh, my God. Some uh, some watery eyes here. It was a fucking origin story. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, my heart! <laughs> <laughs> Holy uh, shit! So yeah, that was um, oh, mate. that was my uh, my a little fix of Tommy Wiseau's oh, masterpiece. Well done. Oh my god, bravo! Oh, 
Bravo. That was really good. <laughs> Fucking bravo. Fuck. You answered both the questions of the movie and real life. This is the backstory to the real guy. As far as I'm concerned, this is it now. Holy shit. Christ. <laughs> oh, my God. And the beauty of it is you've kept the essence of all the characters, refined them to the point that they make sense. But, like, even that scene, the first scene you have with him second-guessing himself about the roses, that is the real Tommy. Yeah. That is the real Tommy. Yeah. But we don't see that in the movie. We just see him being perfect Tommy. But he's not perfect. He just wants to be. It was... Putting this together was a bit of a journey because I was like, yeah, I'm going to like pictures like a real serious emotional drama. Then I was like, yeah, but who wants to see the room that way? Yeah. I was like, I got it into it. I was like, oh, you know, I'll have some like Easter eggs and some fun little quips and everything. And then I was like, you know, I'm just going to kind of refine it and like try to make Tommy more flawed, make Lisa more dynamic. So she's yep. not just like the evil, you know, wife trying to destroy everything. Give Mark some actual motivation for why mm-hmm. he's doing what he was doing. Then the deeper I got and the more the room references started to creep in, I was like, what if this is an origin story? What if <laughs> yeah. this is why? That was amazing. <laughs> oh, my God. And like even for Lisa, like her backstory is perfect because she's we never see her outside of that room, basically. Like it makes sense. Those would be her emotions. And I'm oh, shook. Oh, my God. I can't even, man. And oh, even Mark's I... character, I see that as the way Tommy sees Mark. Yeah. Like the real Tommy. Yeah. Oh my so God. That's, that's what I've gone and done. That was my fix of the room. Well done, sir. I don't know if there's anything else to add at this point. I... Um. I'm too blown away. Yeah, I don't. Have <laughs> my brain's any words. not. My brain's exploded. <laughs> okay, cool. So, on that note, I've been Gabe. <laughs> I've been Carney. <laughs> I've been Carney. I've been Damien. And if you have any ideas on how to fix the room, any thoughts on the film, <laughs> any thoughts on our fix, email us in at moviemaintenance at sanspantsradio.com. Otherwise, at MM Sanspants on Twitter or individually, I'm at Goldberg Moser. I'm at Sidekick of Dowie. I'm at David Jarvis. And we'll uh, see you next time. <laughs> Bye. It's not true. I did not hit her. He got drunk last night. He got drunk last night. Oh, hi, Mark. Oh, hi, Mark. And he hit me. And he hit me. Bullshit, bullshit, bull, bullshit. I did not hit her. Bullshit, bullshit, bull, bullshit. I did not hit her. Thanks for listening. If you want to help support the show, why not become a member at sanspantsplus.com and get early access to our shows, a bunch of exclusive content, and much, much more. That's sanspantsplus.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.